Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be in Zechariah chapter 5, Zechariah chapter 5, as well as Revelation chapter 11, Revelation 11, Matthew, Matthew's gospel chapter 24, and one more, Nehemiah chapter 5. Hopefully we'll get there tonight as well. Once again, Nehemiah, excuse me, Zechariah chapter 5, Revelation 11, Matthew 24, and Nehemiah chapter 5. Let me also encourage you to make sure that you get that food dropped off as you go for your Thanksgiving shopping. Make sure that you pick up a few extra things so that we can bless a family meeting a physical need to have a spiritual conversation. Pastor Dennis, thank you so much for the way that you communicated that. As well, um, let me say uh, we are having our challenge to change this week of going on a 15-minute prayer walk through our neighborhood. Um, I need to make a confession here on Thursday night because you guys are my double-dipping faithful crew. Tuesday is my date night with Timon. Andrea is here for women's group, and we were sitting in my front room looking at our neighborhood. We were both exhausted, and I said to him, son, since we can see our neighborhood, why don't we just pray over it as we're looking at it. And so Tyman seized that opportunity, looked out the window and said, Lord, we want to pray for our neighbors instead of going on our walk. But I've been so encouraged to hear about my son and how he has gone on the prayer walk, my wife and I have, and what it's doing for us, and I pray as well in the spiritual world, what it is doing for our neighbors. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I am so thankful for this incredible book called Zechariah, a letter written for the Jews, but as well for us. And I pray that as we study tonight, that the same way that you desire to encourage the Jews, we would be encouraged because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you are purposing to build us one spiritual block at a time. So my prayer in Jesus' name is that you would use this time of study to inspire and encourage our faith. It's in your name we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. God has taken the time to encourage Joshua the priest and Zerubbabel the prince. Joshua, if you remember from our last study, was reinstated as into the priestly ministry despite the sinful history. Zerubbabel was inspired by the pleasure of God as he saw the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. It gave God much pleasure and inspired Zerubbabel as Zechariah would communicate this to him. If you'll take a look, we'll pick it up there in Zechariah chapter 4, just one verse above chapter 5, verse 14. He said, these are the two anointed ones, speaking of Zerubbabel and Joshua, who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. These, Joshua and Zerubbabel, 
were the anointed ones to do the work. We learned last week, they were the two olive trees of that time. Now note the word that I used, that time. And it's so important for us to understand and study the Old Testament, especially in a day and an era where just two weeks ago I heard that a church has decided no longer to study the Old Testament. That's what I said. Because in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible is very clear that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So all Scripture is useful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And when Paul wrote this, he was speaking specifically about the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't even been formed yet. Luke chapter 24, verse 44 Jesus speaks of the Old Testament. He said, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Jesus said the Old Testament points to him. In fact, I'd encourage you. Maybe this coming year, go through the book of Psalms, and as you read Psalms through the year, I challenge you to find Jesus in every psalm. Trust me, you will. Acts chapter 20, verse 26, when Paul was speaking to the elders at Ephesus, he said this, we must not fail to teach the whole counsel of God. He says, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Let me tell you why. When Jesus was fighting the enemy, he made it very clear. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every Old Testament, New Testament, Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Why? Because as Paul would tell the church in Romans chapter 15 verse 4, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, speaking of the Old Testament, might have hope. The Old Testament gives us hope, and the Old Testament truths help us understand New Testament truths. So there must be something in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 14, as a truth that can be found as an understanding in the New Testament. Well, would you turn with me to Revelation chapter 11? Revelation chapter 11, we're going to pick it up because if you remember about prophecy, not only is it something for the present and a message for the present situation, the truth about prophecy is that it is something that God wanted for us to experience in the future. So we're going to pick it up in Revelation chapter 11 right here at the midpoint. In Revelation chapter 11, God is catching us up with everything that is happening to this point in the book of Revelation. He's wanting us to understand what's going on while the seals are being broken, while the trumpets are being blasted, before the uh, bowls are being poured out. And here in Revelation chapter 11, would you look at verse 1? Then, speaking to John, I was given a reed like a measuring rod. 
And the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. Now let me catch you up. The scene is Jerusalem, and John is giving a measuring rod. Now to measure something is to claim it for yourself. And what he is measuring is the temple that is going to be built during the tribulation period. The Jews will have a temple. According to Ezekiel chapter 40 through chapter 43, a temple is going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. We studied this in Zechariah chapter 2 when God said that the temple was going to be rebuilt. And by John being given this measuring rod, God is saying, I'm claiming this city and temple mount for myself. Think of when you buy a house. What do you do? You have an appraiser come out and measure and determine what your house, your house, is worth. You are claiming the house as your own when an appraisal is done. God says, Jerusalem is mine and a temple is going to be built. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, verse 2, and do not measure it. For it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. You remember, Jesus said it best, we are living in the times of the Gentiles. And this verse catapults us to the final three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. The Antichrist, and don't think of this, this ugly pitchforked-looking, horned man. He's a good-looking orator. He's a military genius. He is a man that will win the world over. This is not some ogre that's standing over. Don't put Lord of the Rings orcs in your mind. This is a good-looking, well-spoken, well-educated, suit-wearing man. So here he is. And according to the word of God, we know that he is going to sign a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. That peace treaty will initiate the day one of seven years of tribulation. Daniel lets us know in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27, Then he, speaking of the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant, a peace treaty, with many, speaking of the Jews and the world, for one week. But in the middle of the week, that is the middle, the three and a half year period, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So the Jews are worshiping. The temple is built. Sacrifices are being uh, sent up. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolation. What happens at the three and a half year period, the Bible calls the abomination of desolation, where the Antichrist sits himself in the Holy of Holies and declares himself God and that the whole world must worship him. This is the time that God says the world is given over to the Gentiles. The moment that the Antichrist sits on the throne. Paul lets us know in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. 
And the man of sin, speaking of the Antichrist, is revealed. The son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The Antichrist will break the peace treaty at the three and a half year mark. He will sit himself on the throne and the Jews will revolt. This will cause a worldwide revolt against the Jews. This time period is known as the times of the Gentiles. It started in 606 B.C., when Babylon devastated Jerusalem, and it will go all the way until Christ's second coming, which we will learn about in Zechariah chapter 14. Now, go with me to Matthew's Gospel chapter 24. Let's catch you up with an entire summary of the book of Revelation in Matthew chapter 24. That's right. Matthew 24 is a table of contents for the entire book of Revelation. Let me say that again. Matthew chapter 24 is a table of contents, a full summary of the entirety of the book of Revelation. Jesus is answering a question that the disciples ask him in Matthew's gospel chapter 24, verse 3. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to him, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. That is seal two. The broken seal two. The Antichrist sitting on the white horse. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And maybe you'll underline that in your Bible. That is a phrase for the first three and a half years. And what he just announced was the seal broken three and the seal broken four. Going on to verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. This is seal number 5. The seal where the martyrs cry out, How long, O Lord, until you justify us? Verse 10. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, speaking of the Antichrist in the first three and a half years and how he will be growing in popularity. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, key verse, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So we're going to speak about the ministry in that first three and a half years when we go back to Revelation chapter 11. But Jesus is making it very clear that the gospel will be preached to the whole world. Keep that in mind. Verse 15. Therefore, When you see the abomination of desolation, remember chapter 9 of Daniel, 
When the Antichrist breaks the covenant, it's called the abomination of desolation when he sits on the throne of God in the temple, spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. When the Antichrist sits on the throne of God, Jesus is giving the Jews an evacuation plan. He's telling them, get out of Jerusalem quickly. Look at the evacuation plan. Now, if you're still here and so happen to be living in Jerusalem, sorry, I hope you're not here. But if you are, these are your instructions for survival. He says, get out of Judea and flee to the mountains. Then he says this, if you're on a housetop, Let him who's on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Get out. Because as soon as he sets himself up, there is going to be a major persecution of the Jews. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. During the seven-year tribulation, people are going to be getting pregnant. People are going to be doing regular life. And he's saying, I hope you're not pregnant when this happens. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Because in the winter it rains in Israel and it's hard to get through the mountains. And on the Sabbath you're only allowed to walk a certain amount of steps. So if you're a Jew and you get to step 637, you've got to stop right where you're at. For then there will be great tribulations, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, in other words, unless it was just seven years, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, speaking of tribulation saints, those days shall be shortened. In other words, it's only going to last seven years. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, don't go out there. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And Zechariah is going to let us know, don't go to the desert, because when he comes back, he's going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives. Amen? Matthew 24 gives us a summarized version of the entire book of Revelation. And God allows this. He allows the Antichrist to set his throne in the temple, and I'll tell you why. He is giving man over to what man has desired. Let us rule ourselves. And man is going to see how detrimental that is, and it will last for 42 more months. Would you take a look at the screen? I want to give you a visual picture of this seven-year tribulation. The rapture of the church will happen. The rapture of the church could happen at any time. We are not waiting for any event to happen for the rapture of the church. I thought I would give it a second to see if the Lord would respond to that. (laughs) Obviously, he's not on my timeline. 
I would have been really depressed if most of us left. The signing of the peace treaty will initiate the seven-year tribulation, according to Daniel chapter 7. The first three and a half years are known as the beginning of sorrows or the tribulation. An event will happen that we will get to in just a moment, and then that will initiate the final three and a half years, and that is known as the great tribulation. So the three and a half years is also known as 42 months. The other three and a half years is also known as 42 months in the Bible. The first half is called the tribulation. The second half is called the great tribulation. And at the end of the great tribulation, Jesus Christ will put his feet on the Mount of Olives. It will divide and he will go marching into Jerusalem and defeat the world's armies. It's called Armageddon. Amen? Now, if you would... Go back with me with this history to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, we're going to pick it up now back in verse 2. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. This is the final a three and a half year period, the Great Tribulation. Now, verse three changes a little bit. Verse three catches us up to the first three and a half year period. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Okay, let's stop there for just a moment. We've read that before. Where did we read that? In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 14, these are the two olive branches that stand before the Lord. Let's go on. And if anyone wants to harm them, Fire proceeds from their mouth. I've actually prayed for this job description. Fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Now go back with me if you would and let's take a look at verse 4 again. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord. Now, we've read this in Zechariah chapter 4. So not only is he speaking of Zerubbabel and Joshua, prophetically, he is speaking of these two witnesses. They're the two olive trees and they are the two lampstands. Now we're beginning to see why it's so important for us to understand the Old Testament. Because it's difficult to understand our future if we don't look back into our past. The Old Testament is a legend or a key on a map that gives you the understanding of what all the symbols and signs are on the map. 
The Old Testament is the legend that gives the symbols of the meaning of the map of the New Testament. That is the beauty of the Old Testament. This text in Revelation chapter 11 is explaining prophetically Zechariah chapter 4, verse 14. They're the two olive branches. Now, we know what that means. What the olive branches were, we studied that last week. It was an understanding that Zerubbabel and Joshua were going to be filled with the power of the Spirit and they were going to be able to do supernatural things because of the power of the Spirit. Not by might, not by power, and excuse me, not by strength, not by might, but by my power, by my Spirit, says the Lord. That's Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. By my Spirit. Now, the New Testament has added a flavor to us. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. Flip over with me to Revelation chapter 1, and we'll let the Bible define itself. Revelation chapter 1, we'll pick it up in verse 20. This is read in my Bible, so Jesus is talking. Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, which is a representation of the church. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. If you remember, the menorah represents the nation of Israel. The lampstand, one single uh, light, represents the church. We have the church being represented by these two witnesses who are proclaiming the gospel to the whole world. Do you remember Matthew chapter 24? Now, can you just imagine? Let's just make this practical if we could. CNN is filming these people, okay? There they are on the temple, most scholars believe right there on the southern steps of the temple. And someone comes at them with a knife. They just can't stand them. And so they just walk up to them, and they're about to just get them with a knife. CNN's filming the whole thing. And then all of a sudden, out of their mouth. And they get torched. You don't think that news is going to travel? You don't think the whole world is going to see what is going on? And you know what I love about the Bible? When John was writing this, he had no idea about CNN and Fox News. All he could see was that at one time, the whole world could witness it. It's amazing how technological Revelation is. Now take a look if you would. Let's go on. Revelation chapter 11. These two witnesses, and I've told you before... They stand before the Lord. Now, when you stand before the Lord, your job is to minister to the Lord. You are accountable to the Lord. You are directed by the Lord. These two witnesses have one sole responsibility, and that is to do whatever it is that God has asked them. Now you've got a question. Who are these two witnesses? We've debated this for years. And the, si- the silence in the Bible should most likely be our silence. However, there are some truths in the Word of God 
that represent some of these characteristics. Let's take, for example, these fire-breathing people. Do you remember when Ahab wanted to get Elijah? And he sent a group of men, and Elijah called down fire from heaven and consumed them in 2 Kings chapter 1. So Ahab goes, okay, I'm going to send another contingency. Second group goes in, and the second group comes up and says, you better come down from there, Elijah. And what does Elijah do? Call down fire from heaven. Guess what? They're all consumed. A third guy comes. He's a little smarter than the first two. And he goes, Elijah, God bless you. Listen, I'm just here for Ahab's sake. How about you have a little bit of mercy on us? And please, we have families. Like, we've got children. Could could you just come with us? And Elijah liked his humble approach. No fire. Do you remember when Elijah was on Mount Carmel? And there on Mount Carmel, when he had soaked the sacrifice, fire came down from heaven and consumed the entire soaked sacrifice. If you remember Elijah in 2 Kings, he was caught up in a whirlwind and the chariots of fire came down and got Elijah and he did not die. Hmm. Well, the Bible says it's appointed for man once to die. So if Elijah hasn't died and Elijah needs to die... Maybe quite possibly this fire-breathing prophet, one of them could be Elijah. Well, the Bible says in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, before I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So we know that Elijah has got to come. We know that John the Baptist was the spirit of Elijah, announcing a spiritual kingdom, But the physical Elijah has to come before the second coming of the Lord. So let's say one of them we check off. It's Elijah. Who's the other one? Me. (laughs) Luke chapter 9, I believe we begin to gain some insight at the transfiguration. Luke chapter 9, verse 30 and 31. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Many scholars believe that because Moses and Elijah were ministering to him, Moses and Elijah will be the two prophets that will be proclaiming the gospel to the world for the first three-and-a-half-year period. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. Jesus is the king which the prophets have spoke of, and he fulfills the law, and these would be considered quite possibly these two witnesses. We know that Elijah has to come, so we can probably check him off. However, some would debate. There was a man by the name of Enoch. If you remember him, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, the Bible says in Genesis 5, 24, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. How many of you would love to go like that? You're just on your prayer walk in San Pedro, okay? 
You're in Torrance, Gardena, wherever you are, Carson. You're just on your little prayer walk, and you're talking to God, and you just start walking up to heaven. Goodbye, San Pedro. I love you, but I'm on my way to glory. I mean, this was Enoch. He just walked right up the stairway to heaven, and he was raptured to heaven. Well, since it's appointed for man once to die, and Enoch has not died, but he was raptured, then quite possibly it's got to be him. Well, I personally have a little struggle with that, and I'll tell you why. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed. When Paul was talking about sleep, he was saying, We shall not all die, but we will all be changed. Enoch, I believe, is an example of the church and how the church will be raptured out. We don't die if we're still alive, but we will be changed at the rapture. Well, some would say, okay, if it's not Enoch, it's got to be John the Apostle. In fact, he's still living and walking all over the face of the earth. He's 2,022 years old. Remember when Jesus said, what is it, Peter, if he should remain until I come? Well, we know that John died, but we also know he's a Jewish believer, And we also know he wanted to call fire down from heaven, if you remember. But Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. I want us to go back and think for just a moment in Zechariah chapter 4. In Zechariah chapter 4, we have one little verse that talks about two anointed. And in Revelation chapter 11, we get the full-colored picture of the black and white of Zechariah chapter 4, verse 14. Now, take a look at verse 7, if you would. When they finished their testimony, Revelation chapter 11, verse 7, when they finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. Their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom because of sexual immorality, and Egypt because they're enslaved to sin, where also our Lord was crucified. So we know he's talking about they are in Jerusalem ministering for the first three and a half years. Now listen to this. Then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. It's like a satanic Christmas. They're giving gifts to each other because these guys are dead. You know why? Because they want to live in their sin. And these guys are constantly reminding the world through CNN, Fox News, and every cable news network you can imagine that you need to repent. God is coming. But at the three-and-a-half-year mark, God is going to allow them to be killed, and he's going to be allow them to be killed to fulfill Scripture. 
In Psalm chapter 79, would you take a look at the screen? Psalm chapter 79, verse 1. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. Your holy temple they have defiled. How did that happen? The Antichrist has sat down to rule. They have laid Jerusalem in heaps. The dead bodies of your servants they have given as food for the birds of the heavens, the flesh of your saints to the beasts of the earth. Their blood they have shed like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. And the world rejoices looking at the death of these two witnesses after their three and a half year ministry. God's going to use this in a powerful way. Take a look, if you would, at verse 11. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from... Can you imagine the CNN footage of this? Just stay with me, okay? Imagine you're watching television. Now, I don't want you here, but just imagine the commentary. What's happening? You know, and especially that lady with the British accent. Never mind. Let's go ahead. Now, after three and a half days, uh, the breath... I'm not saying she's going to be here. I shouldn't have made it like that. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here! And as they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them... Imagine the footage! In the same hour, there's a great earthquake. A tenth of the city fell, speaking of Jerusalem. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The reason why God allows them to be killed, it's one last outpouring of his spirit, and people get saved. They take a look during the tribulation at the death of these three and a half, uh, of these two guys. They see them resurrect from the grave, and God uses it to save some of mankind. What a powerful testimony to what God will do to save people. Now, if you would, remember, all of Revelation chapter 11 came from one little verse, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 14. Because the prophets only saw the mountain peaks. They didn't see the valleys. They only saw bits and pieces. Revelation gives us the color of one verse. Now go back with me to Revelation, I mean Zechariah chapter 5. Go back with me to Zechariah. Zechariah. Now we will pick it up in chapter 5. Next week, I'm going to explain explain the end times of chapter 5. But let's understand Zechariah chapter 5 in its context so that we can understand next week its prophetic meeting in the book of Revelation. Zechariah chapter 5, let's pick it up, verse 1. Then I turned and raised my eyes and saw there a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? So I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits. And it's with ten cubits. Now, before we go any further, let's put in our minds some understanding as a measure of review. Vision six and seven, which we're about to uh, study, happen on the same night at vision one through five. Zechariah has a rough night. 
eight visions through the night. And there's some things to be reminded of. About 50,000 Jews have returned, and they brought a little bit of Babylon with them. They brought a little Babylon with them. They've already given excuses as to why they can't build the temple. It's not time to build the temple, they said in the book of Haggai. (coughs) But they also brought back some ungodly cultural practices from Babylon that God didn't want in the land. He didn't want them disobeying God's law, and he surely did not want materialism and commercialism in God's house. Now, take a look at chapter 5 again. we got a flying scroll. How many have been to the Huntington Beach or <coughs> Bolsa Chica, and you're there on a summer day, and the airplane goes by with the banner hanging behind it? Come to, and they say, this restaurant. You ever been there? Okay. They didn't get that idea from modern technology. They got it from Zechariah chapter 5. Okay? There's nothing new under the sun. Okay? God has been using air flight banners for a long time. And he's got this airplane flying all over Jerusalem. And Zechariah, he don't know what he sees. All he sees is this flying scroll, okay? And on this flying scroll, something is being advertised. Now, this is a large scroll. This is a very large banner. It is 30 by 15 feet. So there is no way that you are going to miss what God has to say as he flies over and gives his message. Let's take a look at verse 3. And he said to me, this is the curse. Okay, it's not such a great message. This is not like, hey, come to, you know, uh, Susie, will you marry me? This is not that manner, okay? This is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled according to this side of the scroll, and every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of it. Oh. Now, you might be reading this going, so what's on the scroll? If you're a Jew, you already know. If you're Jewish, you already know, just like Zechariah. Zechariah knew exactly what he was seeing. On the one side, he saw the first four of the Ten Commandments. On the back side, he saw the balance six. Thieves and perjurers. Keep that in mind. Exodus chapter 32, verse 15, you'll see it on the screen. Moses turned and went down from the mountain. I'm about to rock some of your worlds, those of you that watched Moses um, in the 1970s. Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and on the other they were written. Do you know why the written word of God is so important to the Jew? Because God took his finger and he wrote his word. And because he wrote the word, that's why we have the Old Testament. And so, I know all of you have the visual of Moses coming down with the two tablets and he throws them down. Great. They were written on both sides. And every Jew knew that the Ten Commandments were written on both sides. God's perfect law. And let me tell you the essence of God's perfect law. It's the heart of Leviticus in chapter 19, verse 2. Take a look. Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, 
you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's the essence of the law. I am giving you my holy law. This is what you need to do to make it to heaven. Now, we as Christians know that the law was there as a tutor to show us that we couldn't do it. We needed a Savior. The heart of the law was this in Deuteronomy. The heart of the law is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. There's the heart of the law. I'm teaching you how to love me. This is like you meeting with with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and them letting you know, I like when you give me flowers. That's the law of that relationship. In the same way, the heart of the law, take a look, it's Leviticus chapter 19. Jesus summed it up perfectly in Mark 12 when he said, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When the scribe asked Jesus, Tell me the greatest commandment, he said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the essence of God's perfect law. It's the heart of God's perfect law. But if you don't obey God's law, Moses let us know in Deuteronomy chapter 28, there are blessings when you obey, there are curses when you disobey. So Zechariah sees this flying scroll, and he sees the third commandment on one side, Don't lose the Lord your God's name in vain. And he sees the eighth commandment on the other side. Do not steal. Now remember, I told you the 50,000 Jews, when they came back, they brought a little Babylon with them. And God is calling them out. And they said, well, how have we stolen from you? We're not stealing from you. Thank you, Malachi, for helping us understand. It's Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Now take a look what he says. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be a food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So you've got this flying banner over it, Jerusalem and on it is the eighth commandment that says do not steal. And they're going, how have we stole from you? <laughs> you don't give. That's what he responds. But they also see you're a perjurer. The third commandment. Now, this word perjurer, it means using or saying something false about someone else. A perjurer. Do you remember the third commandment? Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, when you were growing up, your mother used to say, don't say, oh my, G-O-D. Do you remember that? Don't say that. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. That has nothing to do with what God's talking about. Now, you shouldn't do that, but that's not the commandment. You see, a name in the Jewish context is someone's character, someone's conduct, someone's behavior. 
So when he says, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name, he says, what he's saying to the disciples is, tell them everything about my character, my conduct, and my behavior. Tell them everything about the Father. Tell them everything about me. Tell them everything about the Holy Spirit. A name, for example. I can't tell you. I was going to say something. I won't tell you the name. I have a name that I wanted to name our daughters. And I can't say it because one of you may be named it. And there was a name I wanted to name my daughters. My wife knew a girl in high school. So when I called the name and I said, I would like to name my daughter this, she went, ugh. I would think of, ugh, all, every time I looked at this precious little girl, I would think of that girl. I can't do it because the name means something. It means something. Do you know that your name means something? The question is, what does it mean? What does it mean to the people around you? Does your name mean angry? Does your name mean mean? Does your name mean kind? When people think of you, do they go, oh, or do they go, oh? Because every name has a meaning. God's name has a meaning. And what he's telling the Jew, don't take my name in vain, he's saying, you better represent me well. Represent my name well. You are God's child. You are my ambassador. Make sure that you represent me well. And around Jerusalem is flying banner. You are not representing me well. Now the next vision is going to let us know how they weren't. But if we could, let's go on to Zechariah chapter 5 verse 4. He says, I'm going to send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. I'm going to be true to my word, basically, is what he's saying. It shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with its timber and its stones. When a banner flies by, everyone can see it. Everyone can see it. God's making it clear. I can see everything that's going on There are no secrets from me. And I'm going to enter every house because there is no secret person or secret place in your life. I see it all. Let that settle for just a minute. Do you know that we are only as Christians to have three secrets. They're found in Matthew chapter 6. You're allowed to have three secrets. It's three secrets between you and God. And those secrets are this. How much you give, how much you pray, and how much you fast. Those are the only three secrets that we're allowed. How much we give, you don't have to tell a soul, you and God. That's it. Secret place with you and God. How much you pray, Please don't tell us how much you pray. And how much you fast. Anything that else that invades your secret place shouldn't be there. I want you to settle with that for just a minute. Because sin has one goal. 
to destroy. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul, he says it like this. Galatians chapter 6. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap will of the flesh reap corruption, or destruction is the word. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. God's making something very clear here. What he's saying is, I know what you're doing. Banners flying around Jerusalem, and they're all looking up at this banner that's saying, you're liars and you're thieves. How have we stolen? (laughs) You don't tithe, God says. And then he says, well, wait a second. How am I using your name in vain? Oh, take a look. It's the next vision. Take a look at verse 5. Then the angel who talked with me came out and said to me, lift your eyes now and see what, what this is that goes forth. So I asked, what is it? And he said, it's a basket that's going forth. It's an ephah. It's the Jewish basket that measures about 5 to 10 gallons of grain. He also said, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc. Lift it up, and this is a woman sitting inside the basket. Then he said, this is wickedness. Imagine if that was your daughter's name. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted, notice he didn't say angels. And they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. So I said to the angels, who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me, to build a house for it in the land of Shinar, when it's ready, the basket will be there on its base. Now, imagine this basket. But it's a supernatural size basket because a woman can fit inside. Now, this woman, her name is Wickedness. Can you imagine if you were working in the Sunday school? And someone signed in. What's your daughter's name? Wickedness. I mean, just imagine this. But God is giving an illustration. Because he has constantly told the nation of Israel, you're an adulterous nation. You're always going after other lovers. He even had Homer, uh, excuse me, Hosea and Gomer as an example. Gomer was always running after another man, and Hosea had to go after her. Well, what does this mean? This, this lead-topped basket. In the ancient times, there were two discs. And when you wanted to find out how much gold was in one and, or, and how much silver was in another, you would put gold in the one disc and then you would put rocks or a weight in this other disc. And it would weigh out how much money you actually had. That word lead is the same word that is used for this disc. Because when the children of Israel came back to Israel and they left Babylon, remember why they didn't want to leave in the first place. We're prosperous. We're making money. We don't want to go back. But when they went back, they brought a little bit of Babylon with them. They brought commercialism. I'll do anything for the mighty dollar. And they brought back 
materialism. We don't have time to read it tonight, but I would encourage you to read Nehemiah chapter 5. The wealthy people were making slaves of the poor people. And Nehemiah rebukes them and says to them, Stop doing this. Get commercialism and materialism out of Israel. I'm going to pick it up here next week. But there's something that I want to say before we head out. God says, I'm going to stuff materialism down in that basket. And I'm going to put a lead pipe, a lead disc over it so that, no, so that it can't raise its ugly head in Israel. And then he's got these two other women that come with stork wings. Now, I need to let you know, storks are unclean animals to Jews. And Zechariah goes, what are these? And what God is letting Zechariah know, materialism and, and a commercialism, it comes from Babylon. And I'm going to send it back to Babylon so that it can sit on its base In other words, be set up as an idol until the time where I destroy it. We're going to pick it up and have a better understanding of that next week. But here's what I want to say to the church. Please don't bring your multi-pyramid schemes to Calvary Chapel South Bay. Please don't. I get more phone calls and emails on how we can make money here at Calvary Chapel South Bay. And I need to let you know, Jesus turned up the money tables in John chapter 2. This church will only depend on God for what He wants to do. And this church doesn't need commercialism and materialism and the way of the world. We will depend on the Almighty God for whatever it is that He wants us to do. More on that next week. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the great grace of God. And I humbly ask that as You put a lid on it, that we at Calvary Chapel South Bay would not live our lives according to getting the almighty dollar, but that we would trust you and your generous heart. And I pray, Father, that as we manage the widow's might, we would do it with the integrity and the passion of reaching the world that you have put in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for opening up our eyes to Revelation chapter 11 to see these two anointed ones. And we ask now, Lord, that as we continue to study Zechariah, that we would watch and wait and work until you return. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.